Hebrews chapter 13, and we'll be going through verses 7 through 16, Lord willing. Hebrews 13, 7 through 16. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of, to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside of the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for with such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Lord, we pray that you would take these words and use them in a way that transforms our thinking and from there transforms our life and our actions. And so because of that, Lord, and we know ourselves, we know that we need your strength to do it. And so we ask right now for your spirit to fill us, to empower us, to equip us, so that we might have, as it were, the ears to hear what this text is saying to us, the eyes to perceive these spiritual truths, so that all in all we might become more like you, Lord. So take us, use this text in us, for your glory and your namesake, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well... He takes this text, we looked at it last week, if you remember last week's message, and remember how I talked about how that this particular chapter is sometimes used like the book of Proverbs, right? A little one here, a little one there, apply it to my life and I'm a better man, right? Like that kind of thing. Now, again, like I said last week, don't misunderstand me. Certainly these texts have value for our lives, but there is a context to everything that he is saying here, and this text is no different. 
Even though if you read 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then into 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. It kind of sounds disjointed, right? It kind of sounds like he's saying one thing and then throwing another thing and then sprinkling a little, don't be led away right on after it for seasoning or whatnot. But here's what's going on. The Hebrew believers, that church is really struggling. They're struggling to remain faithful. So many of them have already turned their back on the gospel and have gone back to Judaism. And I hope you understand that when you turn your back on the gospel and you go back, you don't just go back to something else. You go back to all kinds of different things, right? You go back and when you turn your back, all of a sudden all kinds of other sins and things and weirdnesses and superstitions enter in. I can think of a couple of guys who I went to Bible college with who were pastors who have turned their back on the faith since then, are into weird stuff. (laughs) And what he is doing here, the writer to the Hebrews, is he's telling these believers who are left, buck up. Keep on keeping on. Don't turn your back on Christ because there's nothing else to turn back to. If you're professing faith in the greatest of all beings, your professing faith in Jesus Christ, God himself become flesh, and you turn your back on that, what do you have? What are you doing? Don't go that direction. And so here, now, what he's doing is he's trying to cause their minds to go back to the very beginning point of their faith. Look what it says. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember your leaders. Now these people have apparently passed on, right? Consider the outcome of their way of life. Consider their life. Consider and imitate their faith. Look to these people who preached to you the word of God at first, the gospel of Jesus Christ in which you believed, and remember them and consider them and imitate them. I have been a Christian for quite a while now, more than a quarter of a decade, and I know that that is a decade, (laughs) more than a quarter of a century, and... I know that there are so many people who have walked with the Lord longer and have had much more rich experiences and greater faith than I do. But in my 25 plus years of being a Christian and walking with the Lord, I have encountered leaders that I do look back on. And even if I might have differences with them theologically or even practically now, I think of them fondly. When I first became a Christian, the first church that I really was not only embraced by, but found myself uh, going to regularly was Calvary Chapel. And one of the reasons why I was attracted to that was because Chuck Smith, the founder of 
Calvary chapels went consistently through books of the Bible, verse by verse by verse, and explained everything. Now, if you were to go to one of his Sunday night studies, or if you were to go to his study during the middle of the week, you could be there for an hour and 40 minutes, or sometimes even two hours, just with him teaching the Bible. Now, that sounds like an endurance run, doesn't it? But I'll tell you what, we got there and the place was packed. And I remember going in my flip-flops there in Southern California and sitting at, on the floor in the front, like right here, just, in cap, just enraptured by the word of God. And I learned a love, love, love for the word of God from that man. And I learned to go through books of the Bible and allow the Bible to speak. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Preach what the word says. Believe what the word says. This is the standard. This is the authority. Nobody nor anything else. I love that. I remember him. I remember his way of living and preaching. And I consider that and I desire to imitate his faith in that capacity. Think of other men who have gone on. I think James Montgomery Boyce, his Foundations of the Christian Faith is probably the single, besides the Bible, most formative book I have ever read and I can only imagine I will ever read. I'm not overstating that. I might for some other people, but for me, that particular book formed the very warp and woof of my understanding of serious doctrine as I grew from a charismatic evangelicalism to a more robust, biblically-based, founded theology. And as I read his book, and I've read it several times through, I find myself looking back on that particular man and noticing, you know, there was no controversy surrounding his life. He was a faithful preacher there at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for, for a long, long time, so many years. And what a rich heritage. Even going further back than that, probably, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and his particular works have influenced me greatly. And people used to say, you know, of him when they'd hear him preach, that's an arrogant man. He is so cocky. I can't believe that he would say those things. But what in reality people were kicking against was the passionate, argued, preached truth of the word of God. And he didn't waver from it. And he would get up there and he did not have a lot of flash or glam. I walk around a little bit, not him. He'd grip that pulpit and we're ready for a ride. And he would just go and preach that word. And his books today still for me and going back and you can listen to some of his audio sermons online Again, are very formative. And I can go on and I can go on and go back and look at these wonderful men of old, the leaders who preached to me the word of God, who spoke to me faithfully from the, the word of God and taught me, instructed me. And I need to consider their outcome and their way of life. Did they, this is the argument, 
Did these people, these men, these teachers, when they preached to you the Word of God, when they lived their lives, did they get to a particular point and go, oh, this persecution is really hard, and they turned their back on the gospel? You see, that's the argument he's bringing up. Consider these men who you hold in such high esteem who led you to the Lord. Did they do what you're threatening to do now? Did they go that direction? Did these men endure to the end? And if they did, why are you flirting with abandoning faith in Jesus Christ? Oh, no, no, it's preaching time. (laughs) Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Look at them. You love them. You know that the Lord spoke through them to you. Follow their faith. If he, you see what he's doing? He's bringing up, he's saying, not only is he giving them these big, heavy, abstract, theological arguments, but then he turns up the emotion a little bit here and says, now remember these guys who taught you the word of God. Remember James the Apostle, the first martyr for the faith of Jesus Christ. At this point, we, I'm assuming Paul has not been martyred yet, nor Peter has been martyred yet, but there have been other people who have been killed for their faith at this time. And even if this is later than I think, and you have Paul and Peter who have been martyred, that's an excellent example for these believers of people who continued to the end. Steadfast, faithful, resolute. Imitate their faith. And then verse 8, which has become, rightfully so, almost like a little confession of faith, a mini confession. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's a good verse. That's a memorizer, for sure, if you don't. It's easy. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But these leaders who, you, who the writer of Hebrews is reminding them of all died. They ran their race. They had a course to run. They had an influence to be made at a finite, small period of time in history, and they were gone. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see the connection? Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider them and their way of life and imitate their faith because their faith was in Jesus Christ. And they died, but Jesus lives forever. Yesterday, today, forever. Jesus doesn't end. He never dies. In fact, he died only to rise from the dead and stomp on that serpent's head and say, Death has no more sting. Victory is mine. Victory is yours. Praise be to God Almighty. All his saints, come on in. That's the good news here. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Look at Psalm 102 with me. Psalm 102. Uh, 
Verse 25. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But verse 27, you are the same and your years have no end. The foundation of the earth, the heavens, the universe, that which science is so focused on and says that either matter has existed for all eternity or energy has, trying to make sense of the universe, is all bound up in the person of Jesus Christ himself, God Almighty, who has created the heavens and the earth for his own glory, and the day's going to come when they're going to wear out and he's going to change them all like a robe. Like a robe. Because he is the same His years have no end. Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48 verse 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel whom I called. I am he. I am the first And I am the last. Now that's familiar language because Jesus says in his revelation to John at the end of the New Testament, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You see, Jesus is God. He always has been. He always will be. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So remember your leaders who pointed you to Jesus. Consider them, think about them, and then turn to Jesus. (laughs) Right? The writer of Hebrews is encouraging them to do the very thing that those teachers that they respected so highly ought to do. Namely, turn to Jesus. He is the same. He is the unwavering and unchanging one. You are experiencing change. The Hebrew believers, maybe you too, are experiencing change in your life. Their change was persecution was coming upon them. And it was getting hard for them to continue to be a Christian in the face of persecution. His answer to them is, while things might change for you, the God who you serve, the Christ who you worship, Jesus who saved you by his own blood, by his own will, for his own namesake, never ever changes. And he knows exactly what you're going through. Nothing has taken him by surprise. Nothing has caught him off guard. And what certain people might mean for evil... God means for good. So then, in light of this truth, this reminder of how great and how good Jesus is, he comes back to the doctrine and the teaching. 
This is something important and foundational. The church exists and is founded on doctrine. The church exists and is founded on a theology. Without a doctrine and without a theology that we're founded on, we are nothing more than a social club or an altruistic network of people who are just about doing good or advocating for social justice or something along those lines. Or maybe even less of a good motive, and we're just a bunch of people who want to gather together around a sense of um, co-believed morality, who vote Republican, (laughs) or something along those lines. No, the church is founded on theology, on doctrine. In the book of 1 Timothy, when Paul writes to him, the very first thing he says after his introduction to him is he says, I left you in Ephesus so that you can preach doctrine, so that you can make sure none of the strange, weird teachings that are going around and about infect and afflict that church. Timothy, your job is to be a guardian of theology. A sentinel for the truth. One who will not stand for false and heretical teaching, but will make sure that what goes on and is preached from the pulpits of that church there in Ephesus is the pure doctrinal word of God. Because if that isn't the foundation, then everything's open for anything else. You see? We first and foremost are a people, the church, who believe things. Right? That's what we are. We're here to worship God Almighty because we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all theology that I just said. <laughs> That's all doctrine that I just said. Now, so many people will say, well, wow, 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 Pastor Pat, come on. I just have a relationship with Jesus. I have a relationship with him. I don't have theology. I don't have doctrine. You don't need that stuff. That's highfalutin. It's not me. I just have a relationship. And I just have a question. Oh, that's wonderful. Tell me about Jesus. Well, he's, and the very next thing out of their mouth is going to be theology. (laughs) It's going to be doctrine. If you tell me about the Jesus you have a relationship with, you're telling me theology and doctrine. You see, we as a church, we are distinct from everything else out there because we're a people who are brought together around a belief in a person and his saving us from our sins. And the truth of, the, of what Jesus Christ taught, what God wants us to know, what he wants us to follow, is what unites us together Nothing else. That's why the church can be full of all kinds of people who got all kinds of things going on. But yet when we come together, we worship God. And he accepts that worship because we come through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So he comes to doctrine after talking about Jesus, says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Notice this. People die. 
even who you love and respect, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Strange and diverse teachings arise, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see the contrast there? I will freely and joyfully admit that I am a one-trick pony. Any good preacher, that's all they are. That's all we are. Because all we have is Jesus Christ, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. My message is never going to change. (laughs) It shouldn't. If my message changes, you need to fire me, okay? Because that is going to be a strange and diverse teaching. Because the truth of the gospel never changes. Paul, when he told Corinth, I came to you and I determined to know one message and preach to you one thing, and that was Jesus Christ and him crucified. And everything else flows from that, right? We can talk like we did last week about sex and about money, and the way we talked about those things were all influenced and flowed from our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's true for anything that we could possibly talk about. So do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Now, he doesn't define grace here. In fact, this is one of the odd books in the New Testament that really doesn't spend a lot of time talking about grace. Paul does it. It's everywhere. Here, I think what he's getting at is he's contrasting the diverse and strange teachings with proper and accurate teaching. I think that's what he's getting at when he says grace here, that our heart is strengthened by grace. Our heart is strengthened by the truth of the gospel, right? Because the gospel, if it's nothing, is grace. God Almighty created the universe. We saw that from Psalm 102. You live on his planet. You breathe his air. You eat his food. You drive in his vehicles. You wear his clothes. God owes you nothing. Absolutely nothing. But yet he has seen, in fact... You're rebel sinners against him who hate God, who are by nature children of wrath, and you've despised him and hated him and shaken your fist at him in your heart, and yet he has seen fit to save you from your sins. He has seen fit to look down from heaven, and because of his own love and his own purpose and his own affection for you, has said, Arthur, I love you. And has come down and grabbed you, you dead man's bones, and have picked you up and breathed new life into you, and have set you upon a solid ground, and now you stand in peace, strong because his grace has changed you, and you now are strengthened by that grace. You see? Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. There are all kinds of messages out there that are competing for your attention, right? The world does it well. They call it advertising, right? Oh, they're good at it. They can take a message and make you think, oh, you need that thing right now. I've got to get that. Got to give me some of that. Whatever it is. 
And they understand our human makeup. They understand our psychology. They understand our propensity, our covetousness, right? They know the 10th commandment and they know we are all about that 10th commandment. And so they put the message out there. Come on, come on. You don't need that 10th commandment. Come on, buy this. You need this. This is for you. You got to have this. Well, in the church, frankly, it's no different. There are many people, many ministers, many pulpits, many extracurricular religious organizations that have diverse and strange teachings and that want to draw your attention away from God, away from Jesus Christ, and away from his message of being the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here in this context, it says, not by foods which have not benefited those who have devoted to them. Now, there's no explanation about foods here, like there is so in um, Romans chapter 14, right? In Romans 14, he's talking about the Judaizers, And going back and following Sabbath rituals and the food rituals, Uh, Colossians chapter 2, if I remember right, is the same thing. It's talking about the Judaizers who were coming in. But 1 Corinthians chapter 8 has a different take on food, and it has to do with meat sacrifice to idols. One of the things that existed in this early, early, early church era was that foods had a spiritual connection or a spiritual connotation to them. And if you ate and participated in certain food rituals, then you were participating in certain types and styles of worship. Now, he doesn't tell us exactly what it is here, and he didn't need to for those early listeners, right? When he said, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them, they knew exactly what he was talking about. As if I could say to you today, be careful, little eyes, how you scroll, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about, and I don't need to say any more than that. You understand the message. That's what's going on here. He's giving them a message that applies directly to them in their context at this time and in this way saying, grace is what you need to be strengthened by. There is no strength to be found in foods and the love of particular foods in that you're worshiping something else or they're giving you spiritual vitality or strength. Then he goes on and says, we have an altar Now, just so you know, our altar is not this. Our altar is not that. Our altar is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the altar we come to and where we worship. We might call this, for expedience's sake, an altar where you come and the communion elements are set. But this is not the altar that he's speaking about here In Hebrews 13.10, we have an altar from which those who serve at the tent have no right to eat. Those who serve at the tent, the tabernacle, the temple, the Judaizers, they have no right to come and partake of what we partake of, and that's Jesus Christ himself. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places 
by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Now, there's a couple of different sacrifices that happened whereby this took place. Sometimes, not all of the meat, you can imagine at certain times the sacrifices were so many that there was no way even all of the priestly families could eat all of the meat, right? So there was provision in the law for taking the meat outside of the camp that wasn't eaten, that was brought, by the sacri- brought for the sacrifice, pardon me, to be burned outside of the camp. Another sacrifice that was offered was on the Day of Atonement, and it was that scapegoat, where you have two goats and one is slain for the sins of the people, and it is sacrificed, but the blood from that slain goat is splattered all over the other goat and is set free and is set outside of the camp to leave the camp. Of course, the symbolism there for us is clear. That Jesus Christ is our scapegoat, having borne the wrath of God for us and then going out away from the camp. So therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. I was talking with someone earlier this week and... This particular person was telling me that, you know, I was pretty comfortable before the campfire happened. This person lived up in paradise. And if I'm honest and I look back, I got to a point where I was so comfortable that I was actually embarrassed and feared about sharing the name of Jesus Christ. This person said, now, I would have never said if you would have asked me five months ago, hey, are you ashamed of Jesus Christ? No, I go to church regularly. I tithe. I got a Bible. It's somewhere, but I got one, you know, kind of thing. But this particular tragedy and this particular trial brought out within this person by means of the Spirit of God bringing conviction to this person's heart, the fact that they truly were ashamed of Jesus Christ in certain contexts and in certain ways and would make sure they didn't bring the name of Jesus Christ up, call themselves a Christian or anything. And now this person's like, I see it so clearly, now I can't shut up about him. (laughs) Let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Listen, being a Christian is not a call to comfort and ease. Being a Christian is being called to follow Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And if the world hated him, the world is going to hate us eventually too. Now we see in our own society, it moving very quickly that direction. Where we are going to start experiencing some real persecution If we stand up for the name of Jesus Christ as the church, it behooves us to do that, by the way. Individually, we can experience the reproach of Jesus Christ as well from family, from friends, from 
um, people who we know or people who we meet, that it would be very easy for us to go set up shop Saturday morning at Farmer's Market on one of the street corners down there and just start passing out Bibles or tracts and we will experience the reproach that Jesus Christ did. Make no mistake. The world hated Christ. The world will hate us too. Don't be ashamed of him, beloved. I'll admit, there have been times, years past, where I have hesitated to bring up that I'm a pastor because, one, I don't know if I really want to have that conversation right now, or number two, I'm in this situation where, oh, maybe I shouldn't because I don't want this person. That's crap. (laughs) That was sin. I sinned in my thinking. I sinned in my attitude. I sinned in my actions when I was, I'll admit it, for those moments ashamed of Jesus Christ and didn't want to bring up the fact that I was a pastor. We need to go outside and bear his reproach. The wonderful thing about Christ being the same yesterday, today, and forever is he's forgiving. When we come in repentance, however it has manifested, I'm going to assume because you're people like me of like passions, James says, that we've all experienced this at one point or another in our lives. Repentance is a good thing. Confession is a good thing. It's healing, it's cathartic, and you know what? We as a church need to be a people about repentance, not a people who mask what's going on inside by whitewashing the outside, right? Let us go outside the camp and bear his reproach. Like the leaders who went before us, like following the teaching that isn't diverse and strange, Why should we do this? Because we have no lasting city here. (laughs) You don't have a home here. I think I do. I think 224 Elm Street is where I'm, you know. But that's not my home. My home is in heaven. And if I'm honest, I long for that place. I long for home. I long to be with Jesus. I want to be there. That's where my home is. When I get so concerned about the things of this world, that's what keeps me in that place of timidity and not wanting to share Christ, not wanting to go outside and bear his reproach, being afraid of persecution because I somehow, someway think I've got something here and I don't. So through Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is a fruit of the lips to acknowledge his name, that acknowledge his name. We do this when we praise the Lord. We do this when we sing songs. We do this when we open our Bibles. We do this when we pray with one another. We do this when we sit down and have a Bible study. We do this all the time and routinely, that the fruit of our lips, right? Jesus Christ said, out of the abundance of the heart does the what? Mouth speak. If your heart is in love with Jesus, then your mouth is going to speak it. At least it ought to. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. And on top of that, do not neglect to do good 
and to share what you have for with such sacrifices with for such sacrifices are pleasing to God you know there's that passage Jesus when he's given that um all of it discourse and then just after that in chapter 25 and he begins by giving that parable about the the talents and the servants you know that whole thing and and those who have been faithful, they get more talents, and you know the story. But at the end of that, he, he says that, that the king at the end of that day is going to say to his servants, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he says, you know, you gave a cup of cold water in my name. You clothed me. You came to see me when I was in prison. And those people who were standing there scratched their heads, those sheep on that day, and say, when did we do that? When did we see you naked? When did we come to visit you in prison? When did we give you a cup of water? I don't remember, Jesus, me doing that. And his answer is, when you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. I want to say two things to close. Number one, verse 15, we need to speak the truth to one another. We need to continually and regularly hear the words of the Lord to one another, the gospel to one another. There's a reason why this is, like I said, I'm a one-trick pony, because the gospel is all that I have. And I need to continually be saying it and speaking it and preaching it. The gospel is what invigorates and brings my soul to the point of worship. And it does for you as well, believer. You need to hear it, and we need to hear it regularly and routinely. I pray you never get tired of it. That it never becomes routine, or you go, all right, here's the gospel part, get to the other stuff. (laughs) And second, don't neglect to do good to one another in light of the gospel. Christians, there's going, there was a time, this is a time, when they were all they had. Their families abandoned them. The places where they worked cut them off and wouldn't allow them to work there anymore. If they owned their own shops, if they became Christians, people would stop coming and buying from them. There was a very real sense also where they were taking their freedom and even their lives into their hands by becoming a Christian. In that day and in that age, this encouragement was very real because all they had were each other. They didn't have family, didn't have friends, didn't have all of these other connections anymore. That was one of the tugs that was drawing them away from Christ, you see. It was hard to live like that. Part of the hardness of it is sometimes the church doesn't do its part. And other believers, we need to gather around those who are struggling and who are suffering and listen and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. So do good to those because we need each other. We need each other. We need each other. I need you. You need me. We all need each other as the church. And as we do this, these sacrifices, beloved, know this. They are pleasing to God. We're not those who sacrifice animals anymore. We're not those who go and do certain rituals and things. The sacrifices that the Lord is pleased with is a lifestyle of worship according to Romans chapter 12. Our lives should be living sacrifices. So, beloved, speak the word to each other. 
Speak the gospel to each other. Speak doctrine. Speak truth. Speak theology to one another. And then do good for each other. Right? Like Romans 13 says, try to outdo one another by doing good. Right? Let's see if we can do. How can I outdo you by doing good to you? We'll be a healthy and a good place to worship together in if that's the attitude that we have towards one another. Amen? Lord, we praise you and we ask as we're coming to the close of this particular book here that you would unite our hearts together, Lord, and may we as we hear the end of the argument of the book of Hebrews be ever more encouraged to keep the faith like the Hebrews did. It might be needing to look back to the leaders who we know who have gone on before us 